Hi, and welcome to the Geula Mama Show. I'm Tivi Goodman. I'm a midwife, doula, mommy, safta, and the host of the Geula Mama Show. I'm very excited to be joined today by Chaya Hinda Allen. Hi, Chaya Hinda. This is so fun. Hi, Tivi. So nice to meet you. <laughs> Chaya Hinda is from the north of England. She came to Israel for seminary at age 18, and she stayed. Wow. Now, 30 years later, mother to 11, Baruch Hashem, grandmother to almost that too, she helps Jewish women with life's challenges that feel just too big or that really are too big through her Living Consciously online community. This is so exciting. I'm really, really excited. And we met through, we met at Geula Day in Yerushalayim, I mean, Amuna Day in Yerushalayim, right? Amuna Day, right. Yeah, that was really special. It was something extraordinary, yeah. My goodness, wow. So, Chayenda, how did you, first of all, how did you even get into doing this? First of all, you know what, before we even talk about what, how you got into it, can you give us like a sentence or two that describes what it is you're doing? What does this mean? How do you support these women? What sort of workshops are you doing? Basically, I, um, I do workshops in a number of different ways. I have live workshops here in, uh, in Eretz Israel, like around the country, either in Yerushalayim, in Beitar, where I live, uh, sometimes in Beit Shemesh, or you know, I travel further afield to um, just different kinds, different, different Yishuvim and, and, and places. Uh, wherever, there's a, wherever there's a group of women that want to get together, that's where I go, basically. Um, and I do online. So the people that can come to a live class, it's often a lot more fun when we're live because we just have, you know, we have a lot of fun when we get together. When you get together with Jewish women in a room, we have a lot of fun. Uh, and there's always, you know, exciting questions and, and there's the real life experience of women going through transformations, which is always exciting to witness live. Um, but second best is definitely, you know, still a really good experience is when we get together online because the Jewish community with Jewish community, with uh, Jewish, Jewish workshops, it's also like a virtual community where women type in, and so we uh, we stay. There's a feel of doing it together. It's not just a presentation. Um, so what do we do? Is we we try and reconnect with what is our purpose? Where are we going? And why are we stuck on the way going there? Because uh, it's a very very dark hidden world and so a lot of our purpose is concealed and a lot of the struggle and the why we're going through this struggle is concealed and women are trying to do their best in so many different situations um, but they don't always feel that they're getting anywhere a lot of the time that's also part of the hiddenness is that with we're going and we're trying and we're doing and we're doing so much we don't always see the light coming in and so that's often a bit confounding so it's about encouragement it's about empowerment. Um, what, can, what can we do to help ourselves be the best us that we can be? And about knowing that even if I don't see or experience um, right now that there's a change in the externals, but I've already succeeded if I'm being my best self. I've already succeeded if I'm bringing the best of my faith to whatever struggle I'm, uh, I'm undergoing right now. And that's, that's really what we do, I guess. That's so beautiful. I'm doing, um, I'm doing, you know, the, we're, we're in the time period now called the 72 days of Chesed. So I'm part of Rabbi Aryeh Nevin's Chabor. I've been for six years. And he tells us that during this time period, if we do a very minute, small avoda, that Hashem just expands it which is very exciting. Every, every year I, I see amazing things. So this year I'm actually doing my avoda very similarly to what you're talking about, how you know, that, that tape that runs through our brain. And, you know, if I'm doing one thing, there's this tape that says, oh, but you should be doing something else or you should be doing it better. Or, you should be doing it. And it just sort of ruins right. all that light, you know, and there's these little moments that you connect with it, but it can be so hard. So I absolutely appreciate what you're talking about. I'm going to have to look into it for myself. This sounds really interesting. How yeah, one of our major, our major problems is, is perfectionism, is that voice that's constantly never enough, never good enough, 
never big enough, never pure enough, never whatever it is, you know, everything is always tainted in some way, never good enough. And, and the truth is that we're always good enough for Shem to love us. And that's, that's the bottom line. I read somewhere that, you know, we expect ourselves to be above human, but Hashem made humans. He loves us. He loves us with our, 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 um, our mistakes and our failures. We're not supposed to be malachim. Right. So how did you get through this path? You were in England. Tell us a little bit about how you got from your childhood to today. This is fascinating about like, how did you fall into what you're doing? Did you plan this out, you know, years in advance? Oh, no, nothing was really planned. I mean, Kodesh Barfa had it planned very clearly. Um, well, I mean, when I look back, it looks like it's like obvious and clear, but at the time, you know, nothing was obvious and clear, but my, I was uh, in a very small community where everybody mattered. Everybody was contributing. And so I was very involved in youth work. Um, and we, I grew up in a very, very tight and warm community where like I was related to half of the community. Um, and half my family was busy running the community center. And so it was very natural that I went into community work and working with younger children and working with, um, as I grew older than with teenagers. And so I had a lot of experience, not only with working with the, with the, with the children, but also with the community at large. I remember that we had a very forward thinking youth worker who decided that the, um, that the teenagers who were busy running the youth groups, that they should also sit in on the community center meetings. And I remember one particular meeting, they were blasting our youth worker for, for things. I mean, they were paying his wages and they thought he wasn't doing the right job. And I decided, you know, it's not my place to be here actually and hear all of this. And I got up and walked out. Um, and I just remember thinking that um, working with a community is really not so simple. And there, there's always going to be people who are disgruntled. And so I, I read that, I mean, that, that was like kind of um, just like another view from the inside of the kinds of, politics and um, inner workings of how communities work that I was privy to, like, again, not wanting to, but like just kind of fell into it. And so I, I got to see many different angles of work in the community while I was still very young. And so it didn't bother me to have people complain about what I did when I got old because I knew they were going to complain. Um, and so that's really, um, like, developing that immunity was very, very important. So when I came to Eretz Israel and married and came to move to Beitar, when it was just a few streets. Now, Baruch Hashem, it's a, it's a really, I look outside my window and it's a gorgeous large city. It's beautiful. And I, I rejoice with every single house that goes up. When we first came, it was very, very small. There were me, less than 50 English-speaking families and we just needed to, to build something. And I remember the Rav asked me to please form an ashe because the women didn't have, didn't have any way to get together. So it was soon after my fourth child was born. And basically I just said, okay, we're gonna do this. And a, and a small group of us got together and we formed the nucleus of what is today an extremely well-run, highly functioning niche. Um, then it was it was really nothing. We just started with social events and then we expanded to Shabbos Mills for people who had babies and we expanded to a crisis committee and all kinds of different health and fundraising. The fundraising went through many different um, Gilgulim, um, we did plays. I remember one of my friends we were doing plays with, at one point she said, you know, if we would all have hired ourselves out to cleaning people's houses, we probably would have raised more money than doing this play. But the truth is we had so much fun during the play that we, that was part of the reason was also the, the amazing energy that was, and the togetherness and the community spirit that was fostered by, by the plays that we did. And um, nowadays, it's a, there's an incredible network that almost functions automatically. I mean, there's a lot of, lot of hours of put in of a Mishlach Monas project where from all over Beitar, people can send Mishlach Monas to, to everybody else in Beitar for a minimum fee. And that way, we don't have to, we don't have to deliver to absolutely everybody. And we fulfill the Ishla um, Re'ehu, that, you know, the, I thought about you, even though I'm not, bringing something myself over with that one basket that comes from the Neshe and everybody appreciates it. And a lot of money is raised that now goes to support all of the Chesed activities. So 
and Baruch Hashem was able to watch that all grow and develop. And at the time we first moved in, like there was nothing happening. Everybody had like two, three, four small children. Now you can go to a wedding every night, a bar mitzvah every night, there are shirim, there's, you know, there's so many things going on. But then there was really nothing and we were very isolated and everybody left their families at home. And so forming that community and again, just dealing with people, because you're not going to make everybody happy all the time. In fact, you're going to make some people really angry some of the time um, when you work with Baruch Hashem, opinionated Jewish people, Baruch Hashem. Uh, and so it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun knowing that it's okay. You can ride the waves. You're going to, you know, if you're really out to help people, then you'll end up helping some people. Um, and so I always know that if somebody complains about something, great. It's just, it just means that I'll try to do it differently next time. It doesn't mean that I have to close up shop. And so that gave me the confidence to launch a lot of different projects, even if they weren't perfect. Um, so I know a lot of women who years ago came to me with ideas. I'm like, yeah, go ahead, do it. Just like put it out there. And they're like, no, I need to do market research first. I need to prepare the ground. I need to, you know, find out all kinds of things. I'm like, just do it already. And years later, they still haven't done it. They're still not launched. They're still doing market research. And I'm, I think the best way of doing market research is get something out there. And then you betcha, if you do it wrong, people let you know about it. That's how you do market research. People tell you, I don't like that. Or you could do this better. And that way you get to improve your product if you can just be a little bit brave. And so that's what I encourage people to do. Like, don't wait around until it's perfect. Get and I think for some of us, for some of us, it takes maybe a lot brave. You know? <laughs> I mean, for me, I know right now we're on the Get Over Mama show, okay? How many years was I thinking about it. I mean, I did have, my son had special needs and everything, but there were a lot of, you know, travels that I had to go through. And even right now I have a project that I'm working on and I'm telling you, I'm telling myself the same thing from all the research that I've been doing, but it's really hard. And I think from, from the other side, sometimes you have a lot of voices um, saying the opposite, like get things more perfect, do things better, especially as Torah Jews. I mean, like I had once a friend who's really careful about Shmirat Lashon. She's really careful. And then she called me up right before Rosh Hashanah in a panic because she went to a shiur and the Rav was like coming down hard on Shmirat Lashon. But she was already careful, so careful about it. And she started to freak out about every word she'd ever said. I said, the Rav was not talking to you. He just, that was not for you to hear because we get so worried about getting things right and doing with Zon Hashem that it can make it, it can make it so scary to, to do anything because we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings or, or do anything wrong. That's right. So we check it out with, you know, a bunch of people and we, we ask around. We don't rely on ourselves. Baruch Hashem, you know, we get guidance. But once we have guidance that we have, a basic direction, and we test it out. You, I mean, we anyway are not going to test something out with thousands of people because no, you're not going to get thousands of people coming to whatever it is that you that you start with. But you could start with 20. You could start with 15. I mean, my first class, I begged five friends to come and listen to me, and they didn't. They came and just fired questions at me. So that was okay. <laughs> you know, if you can you can just take that. That's okay. And then from five, then you get six. And from six, one drops out and two more can't make it. But a third brings another three friends. And so, you know, it's just like it works out. Things work out differently. We do need to have not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in Shem's guidance. That Shem's guiding me. Shem's helping me. Um, my goal is really to help. I've checked it out. I'm not doing something wrong. I've checked it out with people, right? I have a rub. I have, I have people guiding me. And now all I have to do is be prepared to take some flat. That's really what it is. I have to be prepared that some people aren't going to like it. That's okay. It's okay if some people don't like it. I think that so many of us after that first class would have just said, forget it, it's not working. Forget it. You know, you have a, a tenacity that you, you are continuing. I, I think that, um, I think that's an, it's amazing. I think you should give yourself a pat on the back for it because with myself, I know. Well, I'm telling you, again, it's born from my, from my community training. I really went through like, uh, 
it was a it was a cauldron of uh, of community buzzing, you know, and everybody had an opinion. Everyone had five opinions, and they, they none of them were quiet about it. And so I, I just grew up understanding that that's how it is, you know, that's how it is. So if you want to do something, just be prepared. That's going to be part of the tackle. Um, wow. So I guess I mean, yeah. <laughs> It really, that's amazing. It really gave you that training because I do look around and I have had that conversation with other women saying, I want to do this, but I want to do this, but, and, and again, like even if someone gets to the, to the stage where they're trying it out, it's so hard to say, forget it. I tried it. Nobody wanted it. Forget it. You know, where people didn't like it, forget it. And, and it's Chaval. Chaval, it's too bad. It's also, um, we, we judge ourselves based on the immediate results. And what Yudsevi just said to me before, actually before we began, was that we may not get people right away listening, but who knows, in five years' time, somebody will justify to turn this on. And, and I know that from experience. People, I remember I gave, I gave some class like last year and a woman spoke to me recently and she said, that one line that you said in class, it was amazing. I'm like, which one line? <laughs> I have no idea what I said. After I said it, I forgot what I said already. And she said, I wrote it down and I, I read it every day. Okay, great. Whatever it was, you know, you never know what line is going to speak to a person. And sometimes a woman said to me, you know, that whole series I took was worth it just for this one thing that you gave. Great. Whatever, whatever you liked, you know, if you, you can give a lot and you can keep, you can keep giving. But when you just have this after the to say that right thing that just this woman needed to hear that day, when people say that to me, you know, you gave me such hope or you, you just made that, that difference. For me, that makes it all worthwhile. All the people that said they didn't like this or, or you, you wrote that wrong or you, know, you got this technical thing that wasn't right. You know how many times we, the technical things just don't go exactly right. You know, I'm sending out an email and the link didn't work. And I get people saying the link didn't work. Okay, so we fixed the link and we send it out again. Last time I have a joke, like every now and again, we like to send out an email with link fix just to make sure we know how to still do it. Like, it's okay. We send out link fix email. It's okay. If you get it wrong, that you just try again. You just send it out again. It's okay. People will get it in the end. They'll know that even if you get it wrong, so they'll get the right one soon. Um, it doesn't have to be perfect. That's be amazing. Yeah. It really, I mean, it really is profound because I think that so much of, of, of what we're getting is get more perfect. I mean, we know that we're not supposed to be perfect, that we don't have to be, we're not made to be perfect, but there still is the underlying, like you said, the link didn't work. This is, the, you know, sometimes, oh my gosh, you know, as a mom sending kids to, to school in Israel with the machberets that they have to have, like this day needs this, it's like you need some degree in machberet organizing. You know, so like I got the kids out the door and everyone actually got to school on time and nobody was crying and nobody had, you know, peanut butter on their shirt. And then they forgot some makhbar and like the world falls apart. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm sorry, teacher. It, it, I'm human. Like, get over it. You know? <laughs> right, right. There's so much under the There's surface. So good than just being reminded that we're human. Yeah. So, okay, so you started with the Nishé and you started giving classes in your community, but you didn't stop there. Where has it gone since there? Well, what happened was um, we went, being far away from parents and from community and raising Baruch Hashem, nice size family, um, that, brings, that brings with it its own kind of challenges, you know, its own kind of situations. And whatever the children were going through, all of a sudden, we were like in the middle of a number of crises at the same time. And I felt that I just didn't have the tools to deal with it. But life just got too big all of a sudden. Um, and so I started, I started to search. And I, cause I found that my inner resources were not meeting the, the pressure that I was under. Um, and so what I discovered, I was guided to actually to take the course of the rabbinate Sarah Yosef that she was giving at that time in Bonebra. And the big, big transformative truth that I learned with her was how to use our imagination. Because um, I have a very active imagination and uh, it knew how to go downhill very fast. <laughs> That's what I could do. I could go from like 100 to zero, like in no time at all. Just like, oh no. 
I could catastrophize about anything and, and I was very worried and stressed. And so that was really compounding what was going on. And so that's part of what I teach today is that whatever's going on, we can compound that a million times by the way that we're thinking and stressing ourselves about it, or we can, um, we can create a lot of peace in addition to whatever the situation is going on. And that really is in our hands. So there's a lot of the situations that we deal with that are not under our control, but there's so much that really is. And so that's what I, that's what I began to understand is how I use my imagination is also creating and manifesting more of whatever I'm living with in my life. So if I'm, if I'm very, very stressed about a particular situation, I can magnify it. I can make it a lot bigger. And then I can create symptoms from my stress that didn't exist before. So I can make it a lot worse, actually, through how I use my imagination and how I think and, and uh, communicate things to myself. When I talk about imagination, people think, well, imagination means that you can like you must be very creative in writing or you must be very creative in like dance or something like maybe like it has to do with being artistic. No, imagine everybody has an imagination and everybody is already expert in using their imagination. We just don't realize it. But the imagination is actually our tool for perceiving everything. Meaning what we were just talking about before, we were talking about um, how, how we perceive launching a project. So you were talking about all of these voices. They're in your imagination. No one's actually standing next to you talking to you about it. Okay, it may be a voice of a teacher, maybe a voice of a parent, maybe a voice of a friend. It may be your own voice. You know, different people's voices are talking in your mind. You didn't call them in and say, hey guys, let's have a meeting. You know, that wasn't what happened. But they, they came in unannounced and they sat down and they made themselves comfortable in your mind and they're busy talking over you, right? They don't wait for you to allow them they're interrupting you all the time and they're telling you their opinion now that's all in our imagination and so first of all what we have to learn to do is just take a step back and say okay so how do i experience my life because we experience our lives through our imagination that's the prism and everything that we experience goes first of all through our imagination and then we perceive it so some people are perceiving in terms of what they're seeing. Some people are perceiving in terms of what they're hearing. They're mostly taking in the audio of what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. Some people are mostly taking in just how they feel about things. They go into them and they feel the energy of this place. They feel where, how they are in some other place. Some people, um, it's, uh, it's about just the connections with the, with the people who are, who are there. And their whole experience is about the connections. I was speaking once with an Israeli woman, her a family member, an American, had put her onto me, and so she couldn't take a class because my classes are not in Hebrew. She didn't understand Hebrew, but we spoke. We, we were mentoring, having a mentoring situation over the phone. And after a, a short discussion, it turns out that her imagination only worked in conversations. And everything was in terms of a conversation, so she was having a difficult situation. She had a lot of older children at home and that weren't married and it was really stressing her out and her husband was trying to talk to her words of emuna and faith and trust and nothing was working and so after a short discussion it turned out that what was she hearing in her mind she was hearing her mother talk about what a shame it was that her children weren't married and she was doing things wrong and they, they were too big and that's why they weren't married and she was hearing other people's conversations about her about uh what a shame they're not married. And so in her mind, all she's hearing is other people's conversations about her. And that's why she's feeling so miserable all the time because all she's hit is walking around with these negative conversations all the time. And so I asked her to imagine it's the Shabbat Sheva Brachas and all of these four, it's like the last of the four of these older, two, older singles at home. And they're all coming to Shabbos, all these new, new married couples that all got married in the last year. This is now the last Shabbos Sheva Brothers. And they're all coming. Imagine what it's like Erev Shabbos in the kitchen. And in my mind, I'm imagining um, like she's cooking, she's making foods. I said, what, what, are you, what are you, like, what are you experiencing? And she said, I'm on the phone exchanging recipes about what I'm going to make. And it was fascinating to me because it doesn't matter. Like, I didn't want to impose upon her my vision or my experience. But hers was automatically in the conversations that were taking place because her imagination works through conversations. And so once we understand how our own imagination works, that's 
what I began to understand then when I was speaking with the Rabbi Nassar, said that, uh, that we can change ourselves through understanding and then taking control of our imagination. Then I began to be able to teach that to other people because I found that as soon as I opened up that portal into my own imagination, I changed. I just became a transformed person. And since I was reacting differently to the challenges that, that were at hand, I became different. And even the challenges began to change. They began to morph and just become something different because as soon as we change, we have brought a different person to, to whatever the life situation is. Because we're a major component of whatever's going on in our lives. We, ha you know, we, we prefer to think it's happening to us, but we're also impacting on it in a major way. So when we change, when we transform ourselves, then things do begin to change and they do begin to get better. Most of the time they do begin to get better. And so that was, that's really the, the, whole, the whole transformative process was first we understand, so how does my mind work? Um, how can I then change that, my, my perception, take control of it so that it doesn't run me, but that I can, I can guide my mind to where I want it to go and therefore to where I want to go. So for example, in, in this example that we were then talking about, about launching a project, rather than having the voices say, um, it has to be better, it has to be more perfect, you can't launch until you have it exactly right, we will think of some new empowering phrase instead. Um, uh, like Hashem's helping me to make women happy. Hashem is helping me to impact positively in some minimal way. And I don't have to conquer the world, but I'm just doing my part. And as the, as the mission in, in Pirkava says, it's not upon you to finish everything, but you're not, you're not free to opt out either. So I can, uh, for me, it was very motivating to tell myself, I don't have to finish it, but I'm also not free to not do anything either. And as long as I'm sitting back and saying, well, it has to be perfect, that's also an opt out. And so, it's a, it's a responsibility to move forward with something that could help Israel, rather than holding back because of worries about imperfection. If you have something good, let's share it already. And, um, and rely on the public to give us the feedback that we need. Again, we're not, as long as, you know, as long as we've checked it out that we're not doing something wrong, that we're not doing something that has any questionable side to it. But once we check that out, we have guides to ask, then, start to share people will appreciate it i think sometimes it's hard to know you know like i think of the story with moshe Rabbeinu, right so hashem's saying moshe you know and he's like i i i can't speak properly like excuse me hashem says i made you <laughs> right but that's like this huge experience when i have an idea who is who am i little old me you know my ego is caught up in it and i don't want to have an ego you know we want to have good midot and we want to be you know nice jewish girls so it can be sometimes very difficult to know where that you know where does that lie in is that voice hashem talking to me and saying put this thing in the world or Am I being, you know, tsenua and a good girl by, by not doing it? It's sometimes really difficult to, even, even if you say, okay, go to your rabbi or go to your mentor, who do you go to? Because they all have opinions also, you know? <laughs> and, and it can just be really difficult to know, like, is this Ratan Hashem or isn't that? And I think if any of us, you know, got that letter or heard a thunderous sound and Hashem said, I want you to do this, but that doesn't seem to be the way it works in in the world anymore these days right you know it really is we just need to know that that's really how it works let me give you a story okay rabbitson luba foyer she should be well um she is the daughter of rav gifters itself that tells rashi shiva okay um married to rav from heim foyer author and and rav and so she she i think it must have been 10 years ago or so she was taking my class and she shared this in class with us Okay. She said that in her father's home, they had a custom that whenever they had a question about what they should do, they understood that in the next conversation they would have, they would get guidance about what they should do. And she brought an example. Okay, this is your gift. What I love about this is this is not like a Hasidish Rebbe or something, but this is a very Litvish Rosh Hashiva, okay? So she said her sons were learning in tells with their Zaidi Jones man, and it was coming up to Shavuos, and they didn't know should they stay in Yeshiva with their Zaidi for Shavuos or should they go home. 
And they were talking about it together. And then they said, you know what? Let's wait for the next conversation. Let's see. So they went into the base marriage and they sat down. And the two Bakram in front of them were having a conversation. Should they stay in Yeshiva for Yantav or should they go home? And they decided they were going to stay in Yeshiva. And the two brothers looked at each other and said, okay, there's our answer. We'll stay in Yeshiva. And that's how they decided what to do. And that's what Reverend Foy said. That's how, that's what the custom in her father's home was. Yeah, you understand, Hashem is guiding you. It's not stand that you overhear a conversation. You don't just stamp over here conversations. You don't just stamp see a person. You didn't just take this book off the shelf for no reason. Meaning, if you have a question, I checked this out. After, I, after that, I checked this out with Rav um, Ashkenazi of the, the Boston College in, in, uh, in Haranoff. He's also the first Torah editor for Hamadiyah uh, newspaper. And I asked him a lot of, a lot of these kinds of Hashkafa questions. And he said, if a Jew has a question and he wants guidance, and he, he's asking Hashem to guide him. And then he receives an answer that answers his question from whatever's happening around him. He can accept that as an answer. It's not like you're going down the street and you see a diet cola can running in front of you. You say, oh, it must mean I'm supposed to go on a diet. That's not what we're talking about. But if I have a question and I get what seems to me to be an answer, then I can accept that as guidance from Hashem. So, so not yes. to run, not to run after everything and say, oh, it's a sign. This is a sign. This is a sign. Right. But right. All right. I'm going to give you a good example. Okay. I have not talked about the project that I'm working on just yet <laughs> because I'm trying to get it right. And I'm trying to finish writing and I'm trying to find the self-confidence to create this. But here we are having this conversation. <laughs> That's right. So I'm going to announce to you and I'm going to announce to everybody, which is like, okay, I am writing an online childbirth class. Okay. Wow. It bothers me that so many women are not able to get to a childbirth class. For me, a childbirth, a good childbirth class is, is life changing. It changes your birth. It changes yes. your shalom bite. It changes your future. It yes. changes your health. It changes your you know, physical, it changes everything in my opinion. And I personally, in my story, have been to what I call a bad childbirth class and a good one and the good one, like mind blow, open up, set me on a whole new path to become eventually a midwife. And um, when I've worked with clients one-on-one, -on -one, um, I gave them my own, you know, private childbirth class and I've seen Bar Hashem, the amazing transformations. So, um, so I said to myself, okay, I want to build an online childbirth class so that every woman and every woman in Am Yisrael can have a class and can have a class that also talks to the, the from the Torah woman, not just having to yes. attend, right? And yes. part of creating Geula Mamas is backwards because I said, I can't put everything into my childbirth class, but I can refer them and say, if you're interested in this topic, here's an expert who talks for an hour about this topic. So I sort of went about this backwards but the whole time we've been doing this it's been to create a resource for this childbirth class that I feel like that's really what I've been planning for five years I feel like it just needs to be in the world so I'm going to take this conversation and say to myself don't worry just keep working on it don't worry if it's not perfect don't be scared it for me it's it's scary it's just I'm, I'm a quiet person. I don't like even putting this online. You know, when I, when I press that button and I, and I hit publish, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's going out into the world. You know, I like to just be in my house and, and, and not really, you know, talk about things a lot. So it's, it's a lot of sharing, but I feel like, I feel like that's, I feel like that is what's on Hashem. That's what Hashem wants in the world. I have this unique knowledge. I have these unique experiences. Um, and this is our next conversation. <laughs> so that's right. And that's what Hashem wants you to do. So how many classes is this series going to be? I think it's going to be about nine classes. I'm trying to work it out. I don't want to overwhelm people, um, with too many classes, but I also want to get enough information that it's not too much information in one class. And I'm also writing, thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm also writing up a mini class so that like many, most of our husbands want to be amazing husbands. But in the greater world, shall we say, men are expected to attend childbirth classes with their wives 
which is not always mat'im for our life situation. And, um, and then there are also certain halachas, you know, that would specifically, what is he allowed to or not allowed to do? So I am creating a class and then each class will have a mini class that goes with it for the ABBA, like an ABBA mini class, so that he'll get like, you know, 10 or 15 minutes with what he needs to know and how can he be mm-hmm. the best ABBA. This is sort of based on many, many years ago, I went to a birth and it was the last minute sort of birth. I didn't know these people. Usually I would know someone for months and months and months beforehand. I was filling in for an emergency situation and the birth sort of went sideways. It was a whole strange thing because it also, it wasn't her planned um, doctor. It was someone who was filling in. So it was a very strange birth. Wow. And yeah, and then, um, and then there was a little bit of a medical condition a strange thing so the baby was crying we ended up with this very distraught baby and a mother who couldn't couldn't deal with him because there was this medical thing going on now the father had been outside in the hallway he was very very religious very Haredi and he he didn't feel comfortable he didn't know so he had been in the hallway but I could hear him saying to him I could hear him chanting to him the whole time the whole time and he came in and the baby's crying and 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 then and he was fascinated we, we were talking about the placenta and how he had learned a gemara that it was it's chaim and the doctor yelled at me because i showed it to him i'm like get over yourself you know anyways at some point i said you know the baby has been hearing your voice all of these nine months and the father's voice is a deep voice so it resonates it goes through the the, the amniotic fluid the baby knows your voice and he's been hearing you with your Tehillim. If you just hold him and just say Tehillim like you've been doing, it's gonna, it's gonna make all the difference in the world. So he did that. And I'm like, I'm getting chills now. Within a few moments, the baby totally calmed down and he like snuggled wow. to sleep. And then I did, I did a follow-up visit. That was only one part of it. I did a follow-up visit. And, and this mother tells me, she says, because not all doulas do follow-up visits. So like, for me, this is like a part of this package. If I went to your birth, I'm doing a follow-up visit, right? So I come follow-up, yeah. and she says, the whole pregnancy, he was disconnected. And, and I had this vision of our, you know, our family. Like, we are very, very, very Haredi. But I've always had a vision of having, you know, this really, like, warm, loving family. And he's been so disconnected. And after that experience, he won't put the baby oh, down yeah. and he's like saying to him and putting him to sleep it was like three days later and it was like like i know somewhere in the world there's like a 20 year old boy whose life and family has changed you know like i'm like wow. tearing up wow. you know it's so big it's, it's so, so beautiful big. yes it's yes. so big and i just want to be able to i want to ask you include in your series one class for the mother of the birthing mother that's so funny that is my thing i want i i want to have like a bubby course which is probably going to be in the future which is like for sisters and 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 grandmothers and people who are going it's probably not going to be right now because i like you said i have to get it started but that's the other piece in my mind where you don't have to know to be a doula you don't have to learn to be a full doula but a hundred percent how can how can how can you be there for your daughter or your sister or your friends? If that's absolutely something I'm doing. So yes, this is this is the big announcement. Sophie, when are you launching this? When are you launching this? When I finish getting it ready. <laughs> I'm no, still ready. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> When's your tentative launch date? So a friend a friend did that to me. A friend did that to me, and we picked last Hanukkah, but Hanukkah has passed. <laughs> So um, right now, the whole class is on little post-it notes all over this giant whiteboard that I bought. Um, And I have it laid out according to classes and everything with colors and everything. Part of it's also just time. I mean, Baruch Hashem, I am a mother and I have children and I don't want my kids to get lost in between the weeds. But that's, I think that's an excuse. I'm telling myself that's an excuse. You know, that's just because you're a very bad one too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, you totally, think I can do it by Shavuot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Challenge accepted. Do, do one a week. One a week from now to Shavuot, and it's up. All right. 
Okay. <laughs> you can do it. You could do it. And you know what you do? I'm going to give you another tool. Okay. This is a real tool I'm going to give you. Okay. I do uh, a series. It's called Heil, which is one installment. For, it's 15 minutes a day. Okay. And I pre-record them and I put them up and I send them out every day and email goes out. And I have a rule about this. I never redo an installment. I never redo it. Wow. Once it's, once it's recorded, it's done. Okay. I say to him beforehand, I trust the British Islam. I say my, my, my piece and it's done and I never redo it. And if I have something else to say, I'll say it next time. I'll say another thing. But you know what? You just do it because you're going to do it. One day this week, you're going to take the time and you're going to do class one or class two, whichever you want to start with. You don't have to start with class one. You can start with class five, whichever is the easiest for you to give. You start with one class, you record it. That's it. Don't go back. Okay. Don't keep going back and keep back and keep changing. Just do it. And it's going to be great. Is it going to be perfect? I promise you no. I promise you no. But you can go back next year and make the second edition. But now get the first one out because you can give a lot of really good information that will help people already. There's a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> While we're on the subject of perfection, I'm going to segue us into Pesach. Okay. Pesach, 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 I had a Pesach trauma. Years ago, I was a go with the flow kind of person, and I really didn't, I loved Pesach. I had no problem with it. And one example, I went once to Samei Hametz, and I didn't really have a lot of Hametz, whatever it was, and this rabbi started asking, this long-bearded Rav started asking me all these questions about my closets and what was in them. And one of the things I mentioned was a food processor. And he made me go home and pull out Q-tips and bleach and start cleaning. I'm like, what? You know? So I got, I call rabbi trauma. I got started to get very stressed out about Pesach over the years, right? I didn't start out that way. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I, I, I realize that rabbi is that rabbi. And I'm sort of going back to loving Pesach again. I'm working on it, but it took a lot of years of work. And I know that we all have these different voices and, and that's the time like, oh my gosh, if there's even a tiny bit of hummus, ah! So, um, yeah. What can you say to Pesach? Okay. So first of all, um, even a, a tiny bit of, of, of hummus and the instruction all about hummus, um, applies to where we eat and what we eat. That means that everywhere else in the house, we don't eat anywhere else on Pesach. We mavatal all of the chametz anywhere else. I mean, we say it doesn't exist and we do that. Okay, we clean, meaning we, we do whatever we do, but we reserve the real energy for where it really makes a difference, which is in the kitchen. And there, only the things that we're going to be using on Pesach. So things that we're not going to be using on Pesach, you ask your Rav, okay? And whatever your Rav says about your hummus sticker pots or your hummus sticker food processor or whatever it is that you do, you ask your Rav. And if you say, this is just too stringent for me, is, you know, is there a way for me to do it less, depending on what my family situation is and how young my, is my youngest baby or whatever's going on in my life and my health. And the Rav can work together with your Rav who knows you can work together with you and help you. And if at a certain point you need more leniencies, he could give you more leniencies when you have a Rav that knows you. But where it really makes a difference in the kitchen, then we give ourselves enough time. What usually happens is women spend so much time on where it doesn't matter, on the spring cleaning, that when it comes to where it does matter in the kitchen, that's where we are, we're already blurry. I, we've been up for, for a fortnight. We, we, we don't know our left or right anymore. Forget our, you know, Haman and Baruch Mordechai. Here we're totally submitted. We don't know what's going on. And then we're supposed to do the most important kinds of cleaning. So what I started to do is I started to do already bits of my kitchen. Again, parts of my kitchen that I am going to be selling. Parts of my kitchen, I just want to make sure that this, that, that, the extra kind of bits that are in my kitchen that I'm not going to be using on Pesach, I'm going through those, making sure that I started there so that the kitchen I know is going to be the way that I want it to be long before Pesach and I'll have enough time to be preparing in my kitchen always is what I do a week before Pesach. So what I'm going to be doing with you, Sylvie, is I'll share with you um, my, uh, my newly prepared 
the Jewish workshops, uh, 10 lists that will help your Pesach be easy. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's actually a little workbook that can help you prepare for Pesach. There's also a guided imagery, a uh, positive Pesach that I will share with you. Okay. Um, because that, well, it helps us to, uh, as I mentioned before, that our imagination is the prism through which we experience anything. So if I experience Pesach through my prism of anxiety, stress, I can't do anything well enough anyway, I'm always going to fail or whatever it is, whether it's voices, whether it's a feeling, whether it's a vision of everything just you know imploding on, on me, whatever, the, the, whatever my imagination brings up. Um, if I change it, and if I input something else into my imagination, and we can do that, that's, that's the, the news here, is that we're not stuck with it. The way that we have been experiencing things through our imagination is, is not forever. It's just a habit of thought, but it's not us. We tend to think that's who I am. It's not who I am. It's just been my habit until now, but I can change that habit. So the thoughts of, it's never going to be good enough. It's never going to be perfect enough. That's just been a habit of thought. It's not who you are. It's not who we are. We could change that. So we can input into our minds a new positive Pesach view and change that for ourselves. And that's actually how we got to speak in the first place because I told you that I have a guided imagery for birth that um, my daughter, when she was already in her eighth month, she said to me, mommy, if you don't make me guided imagery now, who will, you know, like you have to do it for me. And so I said, okay, I'm gonna go and do it. And just because she begged me, I said, I mean, people have asked me for years, don't you have a guided imagery for birth? And I was, you know why I haven't done it yet? Perfectionism, because I thought, well, if I'm doing it, it has to be right. But when she was in her eighth month, I was like, no more time. I have to do it now. I was like, okay, so I'm just going to do it. And what comes out is just going to come out. And Hashem helped. And she said she liked it. And other people liked it too. So sometimes when we're, when we're against the wall, I do it. To it. It's, it's amazing. It's, and I'm not like in the middle of giving birth. And it's so relaxing and beautiful <laughs> and in, inspiring. It's amazing. Okay, so I'll be giving you that as well. And, uh, but again, I'm not immune to perfectionism just because I'm a big talker. Uh, it, still, it still rears its head. And sometimes I will procrastinate for that reason with, with, uh, with projects. But, but I know I've had enough experience to know that sometimes I just have to say, that's it. Just get down and do it. And, and what it is, it is. And again, never go back. Don't, don't go back and change things because that, that could become obsessive because you can, never, you can never make something perfect. You can never make it perfect. Um, so Pesach, you can change. Well, what your you're way. saying about going back, also with Pesach, I know for myself sometimes ah. you clean you clean a closet, you can't you clean the refrigerator, and then you see another spot, and then you see and you get so busy cleaning over the same things that truly, when you get to the next point, you are exhausted. <laughs> right. So we cannot do that about the entire house. About the ceiling fan, it doesn't make a difference. About the trisim, it doesn't make a difference. The only place it's going to make a difference is on surfaces you're going to be using for Pesach. In your fridge or actually on your, your, on your counter, the wall where the, the, that's going to be that, you know, the places where you're not selling them, where you're actually going to be putting food for Pesach. And so there, if you give yourself a week to do your kitchen, you can do it in a relaxed way. We don't have to come to, uh, to the kitchen with one day and to, to cook everything and, and to clean. Clearly, we had to think in advance. We still have time now to think in advance and to plan. We have, and so we have to work backwards when it comes to saying, we have to think. So if I'm, if I'm cooking for say tonight, if I'm going to be home, how many days do I need to prepare the food? Realistically, realistically, maybe two or three days. Give yourself two or three days. So you can take naps. You can have the food in the house. You need to have the food and everything in the house. You need to have a kitchen ready by whether it's two or three days before Pesach or whether it's one week before Pesach. I usually like to do Shabbos Agad or Pesach. That's just because it suits me to have that enough time to be able to cook and freeze and bake. And, and so we'll eat, you know, whatever we eat those days or, or, or in the park or, or we'll eat some cooked fish in the Pesach kitchen, it's okay. You know, it's, it's not going to be a problem. And, and that way, you come into Pesach rested, happy, and you know that you've, you've really done your best. You've cleaned everything the way that you wanted it to be because you gave yourself enough time. It's about giving ourselves enough time and not 
being perfectionistic about things that really don't count when it comes to Pesach. We tend to think, well, I come this way once a year, I might as well do it properly. So come this way after Pesach. That's, what I would say. that's really, that's really like <laughs> profound. <laughs> I'm trying to envision also um like let's say you do you do the counter and you do the refrigerator, you do all those things, and you don't have to get stuck with with redoing them because you can always wipe them up again. You know, like they're gonna get you know how you get everything ready for a Pesach and it's so beautiful, and then like somebody who's alive walks into your Daladamos and they make a breathe and then everything gets a mess and it's like oh, I've worked so hard you know because because that's right. the other the, the it goes it's like the partner with perfectionism right you know that's right so I like to talk about the the uh, the Thursday night kitchen okay if somebody walks into a kitchen Thursday night and they see potato peels flying and there's a mix of whirring and there's, you know, eggshells and sugar flying everywhere. And, and there's, you know, a delivery of vegetables on the floor in the middle of the kitchen and, and chickens defrosting on the side. If somebody would come into that Thursday afternoon kitchen and say, it shouldn't be like this. Kitchens shouldn't be like this. Are they right or are they wrong? They probably, I would say are wrong because you should never say you should. <laughs> right but here you go but this, this the kitchen is supposed to be like this right it's yeah. in use it's a work in progress okay yeah. okay so we're all a work in progress Pesach is a work in progress even a messy Pesach kitchen is kosher right even so a messy Pesach kitchen is kosher that is very profound <laughs> okay <laughs> Okay, so we mustn't confuse, we mustn't confuse our desire for order with the cashless of, of, of Pesach. So a very messy, filled with action Thursday afternoon kitchen is totally kosher. In fact, it's perfect. It's perfect because this is the work in progress. It's supposed to look like this. It's supposed to be like this. And so my kosher Erev Pesach kitchen with whatever's happening all around it, okay, is supposed to be exactly like this. This is perfect. So we're, um, I once had, um, I mentor women and sometimes I, I go to Shalim and meet them, sometimes they come to me. And there was a very wealthy woman who has houses like all around the, around the world. And she came to, to, to Beitar and she, she came up to my office to, to speak to me. So we came up the staircase and she passed, you know, a few of the happening places in my house on the way up. And she says to me, hi, she said, your house is so perfectly imperfect. <laughs> and I said, yes, it really is. <laughs> okay. She passed the laundry and she passed, you know, a child's room and, and it was perfectly imperfect because it's a work in progress. There are people living here. This is, it's a happening place. You know, it's a, it's a family abode and it's supposed to be like this. So whenever you look at a place that's been cleaned yet messed up, that's good. That's good. I think also sometimes it sounds good in, you know, in the story, you imagine, you know, all the bustling, happy Arab Shabbos, you know, like you were saying with the mixer and everything, but when you're living in it, right, it can be like the walls are closing in on you sometimes because I have to clean it afterwards and I have to, and I, you know, I let it get this messy, you know, like Sometimes can we just me, pause, Sylvia, and see that that was your that was your voice there saying it was the voice inside your head saying I let it get like this. <laughs> That's your imagination posing a judgment on you that you didn't choose, so you don't have to choose to listen to anymore. You could say, I choose to let it be like this right now. I choose to let it be perfectly imperfect right now. This is good, and I'm enjoying it. It's just choosing the voice in your head, right? You can, we, we can all do that for ourselves and make, make Pesach a lot less stressful for ourselves and everybody else because mother's a, a maniac running around the house and the kids don't hear the voice inside her head. They don't understand what's driving her berserk like this. But, but she's being driven by, by some inner force that is, that's, that's beyond nature. And so we have to understand we don't have to be driven like that. We don't have to be I was at the park the other day and I've sort of committed to myself that I'm not having... Pesach conversations with other people. 
you know, I will, ha <laughs> I will have a Pesach conversation with you because I'm trying to move away from these like years of Pesach trauma. And I love Pesach yeah. and it was getting me really frustrated. Right. So, um, but somebody came into my bench, <laughs> my park bench, <laughs> and she started talking Pesach. <laughs> so she's telling this story about, um, how last year she was seven months pregnant with her fifth child and the oldest one was like seven okay wow yes and how she um she would clean all night she would she would when her kids when her husband came home she'd st start Pesach cleaning and she'd Pesach clean until four in the morning when he would get up for davening and then she'd take a nap until seven and get the kids off to school I like this whole thing and and there was no talking to her because I tried to say you know maybe this year take it easy and she's like no 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 it was worth it in the end it was worth it because then everything was and I'm like okay I'm not listening not listening and just like, you know mentally <laughs> you know like you can't I, I just don't think that that's what Hashem wants from me. I mean, maybe it's it, some certain years. It's nice to spring clean when you pay off clean because there's an energy and it's, it's, there's a renewal and it does feel nice, but it's almost like we're taking Pesach and we're blaming this beautiful, innocent pearl for all of our difficulties in, 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 in his honor, you know, like, Pesach didn't tell me to do all that. Right, right. Pesach needs to be, we need to adjust the way that we prepare Pesach very drastically according to the situation, the time, the strength that we have and what our needs are and what our family's needs are. I make Pesach very differently now when my youngest are, are nine and eight than I used to make Pesach when, when my oldest was was like 10 and I had, you know, Baruch Hashem, a whole slew of them. And I was basically making pays by myself and my husband was in, was in college and working. It was a whole different life. And so it, we need to assess and we need to think and we need to reflect and we need to, to from you to what, what worked for me, what didn't work for me. I know that my constitution is such that if I stay up past midnight, two nights, I will be sick on the third day. I just, I've experienced that so many times. And I remember having friends who they would be up until two and then up again at six to get the kids out. And I knew that if I did that, I would literally fall on my face. I couldn't survive. My, I just don't have the physical stamina to be able to do that. So I had to start a whole lot earlier than they did because I couldn't do that kind of crunch days and then step for the stage and I, I just couldn't do it. So I had to take more, more time over, over pace because of my, because just just who I was, and we have to be honest with ourselves, and we have to be real, and we have to look at the needs of everybody around us, and then we have to plan. And once we plan and understand, and that's why I encourage you to use the list that I'm going to be giving you. Planning makes makes all the difference if we can go according to plan. We need to. I learn. see that, like you know, I'm I'm thinking back as you're talking about different years, and part mm -hmm. of for me the problem is planning, but also not realizing, even over many years, um, how long things would really take. So there were years yeah. that I thought I planned, and I thought I was ready in advance, and I was really calm, and then I ended up pulling an all-nighter or something, you know, the right before Pesach, because, but, but then the next year I tried again, and I failed, failed. I, you know, ended up pulling an all-nighter again. <laughs> yeah, there was one year, there was one year, that I had to go to Mikvah Erev Pesach, Seder night. And we didn't, we lived in a small caravan in Yishuv and we didn't have a bathtub. So I had to actually go to the Mikvah and have it open for me, you know, three hours beforehand. And wow. that was the best year because I was so relaxed. I came to the Seder having slept, <laughs> having bathed, having relaxed. I had to sit there. There was nobody, you know, I just wait for the, and it was really weird because years and years later in random conversations, because my friends and I, we don't talk about mikvah. I mean, that's, that's private. Somehow in random conversations, it came out that the year that I went to mikvah, Arab Pesach, two people that I know were supposed to go to mikvah and canceled. They did not go. They did not make it. Probably because they had bathtubs in their house, you know, 
<laughs> Whereas I had to go out. And, I, and that like, it was very profound, profound for me to realize, first of all, maybe in the schools of, that, of the mitzvah that I did, but also just to realize, like, just to pretend, pretend that the day before Pesach, I'm going out. Just, just right. put that in, you know, and then move everything up a day or two. You know, but the planning of it can be, maybe some of us are better at time at imagining how long things will take or not. I don't know. Right. It's, it only takes, it's only from experience. Meaning we have to remember from previous times, it takes a day to clean the fridge, maybe. Like I remember it took a day to really clean it and get in the nooks and crannies and do all the things and cover it the way that I wanted it. Meaning a day, including making the meals and feeding everybody and doing everything else that needed to be taken care of that day. So we have to factor in whatever else has to factor in. So one day just for a fridge, you know, that means one person, if you have four people working, well, it's a whole different thing, you know, because one can feed and then one can do the fridge. And then, oh, we finished it in two hours. It doesn't have to take a whole day, depending on what, on, on who's helping you and, and who you need to feed and what else you need to do that day. Yeah, there's so many facts that need to be taken into consideration. There probably is an algorithm that someone could come up with. <laughs> but I'm not going to be doing that one. That's not for me. How old are your children? Multiplied <laughs> by how many of them have ADHD? Multiplied <laughs> by... <laughs> oh my goodness. This is so fun. We could probably continue this for many, many hours. And I wish we could, but we're going to wrap it up now. And we have all these goodies that we're going to be giving everybody. Pesach goodies and this beautiful, beautiful um, visualization um, that you made. It's, it's really, really exciting. And we have fun things to give away. So before we do that, I have a question for you, Hayenda. I want you to close your eyes and take a deep breath, if you don't mind. <laughs> And I want you to use your imagination and your visualization to imagine that you are standing in front of the Ezrat Nashim in, at Har Sinai. So you have all the Nishamot of all the women who have come before you and all the women who, who are in the future will ever be born. You have all the women of Am Yisrael. And you have one thing you can say. What's the first thing that pops into your mind? Hashem loves you. <laughs> He's giving you the Torah. That's what I would say. Hashem loves you. He's giving you the Torah. The Torah is like, I think a lot of people, sometimes people will say, you know, the Torah says, the Torah says, the Torah says, especially in the from communities. And it always irks me because I'm like, no, Hashem says. <laughs> Hashem says through the Torah, he's given us life. Life is like, you know, my computer. And the Torah sh just it shows us it's the user manual. Choose life. How are you going to have a good life? How are you going to navigate? But don't ever use it as a, as a sledgehammer or something bad. Or the Torah says, you know, Hashem loves us. Torah is light. Torah is love and light and how to connect. Torah is everything. And Hashem gave it to us because he loves us. <laughs> feeling that oh my goodness all right you know it's going to become a geula mama's magnet so oh, nice. this is this is from ruthie arkush she says how can i create more balance in my life okay so this geula mama's magnet is going to Leia Charney Preisteravich. She's going to get this magnet. Somebody in the future is Yay. going to get the magnet that was just created today. Yay! Awesome. And, um, and the way you are eligible for magnets and free things we're going to give away, something else very, very awesome right now, is by joining the Geula Mamas Club on Facebook. We have a private Facebook group. It's closed. Nobody else can see what you're writing in there. So if you're a person listening to this and you're a Facebook type of person, come and join the club, the Geula Mamas Club. And that way you can ask questions. A lot of the presenters on the show are in, in the Facebook group. And that makes you eligible to win free things. So what are you giving away today, Hayenda? 
Um, so I mentioned my Chayel program, which is a 15-minute installment every day. Uh, it's an audio email or by phone. And so we'll give away a free month of, of Chayel. And basically what we'll do is I'll let, I'll let whoever wins it choose when they would like to have their month. If they think that Pesach is when they'd like to have it and they'd like to start, let's say, Rosh Chodesh Nisan and have it for the month of Nisan, they could do that. If they wanted to do it after Pesach, they think it's going to be easier for them to, to listen and commit to listening 15 minutes a day afterwards, they could do it afterwards. So they could choose, let's say, up to six months. They could choose when they want to take that month. So they can choose up to six months, one month of Chayel, which is every day some inspiration. Wow, that is so cool. All right, that is going to Jordan Ruas. She is the exciting person. Woo! This is so, it's very fun. Welcome, in touch. <laughs> yeah, I'll get her in touch with you. That will be so fun. And everybody's a winner because you are getting a, a, a child a birth visualization. You are getting a Pesach visual, visualization. We are getting a Pesach guidebook you said also right yes 10 lists 10 lists and we're going to be working on we don't have the link yet so we don't know exactly the discount but through what was it jewish workshops right where workshops living consciously the community is called the living consciously community yeah and we'll have all the links up for you so we're going to have a link there that will link to Chayahinda's workshop that's through Jewish workshops, and you're gonna have some discount. We have to speak to Jewish yeah. workshops to find out exactly what that will be. But if you sign up through that, you're going to get a discount for all the Geula Mamas. This has been absolutely amazing. Thank you for joining us today. And remember that I love you. Have a good day. Goodbye.